Hey, 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 what's up there, winners? It's your girl, Tav Manning, here from We Win Presents the Winner's Circle podcast. Happy October, happy fourth quarter. Man, we are quickly approaching the final month of 2020, and my God, it has been an interesting year to say the least. Um, so this month, um, I am kicking off a impactful, powerful series um, I haven't quite given it a name yet. I'm, I'm still working through that. However, name or no name, it really doesn't matter. Just know that this month is going to be jam-packed and filled with women who are inspirational, who are uplifting, and who are encouraging. Um, they're going to come and share words with you. They're going to come share testimonies with you of how they are overcomers, how they are more than conquerors, and how they have not allowed anything that they have experienced in their life to deter them from where they're going and from you know, being um, purposeful in their life. And so today I have a very special guest with me. Um, this woman, I met her a few years ago and we just clicked like automatically, like it was just so crazy because just to give you a little background, you all know how um, important and and just how um, how my one of my passion projects and something that's very near and dear to my heart is um, women in transition um, from addiction and from substance abuse and all of those things. Um, it's because of, of course, you know, the experience that I had with my mom and of course losing my mom um, at the age of 13 to substance abuse. And so, you know, it, as I became an adult, I um, found my purpose in helping women and empowering women. And so everything that I do, um, of course, is to give God the glory first. But apart from that, everything that I do is pretty much in memory of my mom. Um, I just feel like if, you know, she had these types of resources or if she had this type of support, um, if, if she had these types of outlets to deal with her trauma and things that she went through in life, then perhaps she would still be with us, but neither here nor there. Um, I use that as my catalyst to do what I do, which is again, empowering women. And so, um, a few years ago I was invited to, um, be on an empowerment panel at a place called Mary Hall Freedom House. And so ironically, I ended up working with Mary Hall through my job at Coca-Cola, but this was my first introduction to Mary Hall Freedom House. And so um, it was a woman by the name of Jasmine Crow, which you've probably heard of her because she has a company called Good Gooder, um, where she is doing awesome things in her community and getting so many people fed um, because she has a food pro a food program for those who you know do not have access or resource to you know food and nutrition and things like that. So anyway. Uh, she had an event uh, that she had partnered with Mary Hall Freedom House and Sunday Soul to do a graduation, more or less, uh, ceremony for, for these women who were um, 90 days clean and getting ready to exit the program. And she had an empowerment panel. So she um, put out a... Um, a listing asking for you know empowerment speakers to be on a panel and come and speak to these women to pour into them and so it was there that i met my guest who you're going to meet in just a few moments um along with several other women and these were dynamic women these were women who had brought so much to this conference um sharing their testimony sharing what they have done um but there was this one woman that i connected with and she and i became social media friends and have followed each other for the last two or three years and she's just an amazing woman and I know that you will agree with me once you hear her story her story of overcoming her addiction her story of 
overcoming trauma and so many other things. And let me just tell you, if you ever get a chance to see this woman, oh my God, you would not believe, you know how they say one, black doesn't crack, but two, they also say that we don't look like what we've been through. This woman will give you a run for your money, honey. She is a grandmother and you would not think she's a grandmother. Um, she looks like she's younger than I am. So um, I just love her. I love her energy. I love her transparency. I love her ability to just tell it like it is because her posts have me cracking up on social media. Um, but one post that really caught me and, and like really... Um, made me reach out was that she recently um, celebrated 15 years of sobriety. And I thought that that was something that needed to be celebrated. And I thought that that was something that needed to be shared um, because we're all dealing with, you know, challenges within our life. Um, and I also feel that, you know, we, you know, many of us have vices and many of us have addictions. It doesn't necessarily have to be substance abuse. There's other addictions out there that many of us are struggling with. So I hope that as you listen to this interview today, that you take something away from it, that it, you know, that, that something is imparted into your spirit, whatever it is that you may be dealing with, um, I, I know that it's going to bless you. Um, and so I hope that you receive it well. Um, so without further ado, I would like to introduce my guest for today, Tiffany Lynn Hatchet. It is Hatchet, correct? Yes, yes, it is Hatchet. Oh. Thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> I you love are- you too. I love your energy from the first time that we, that we met um, at that conference. And it is really a pleasure to be here to share uh, my testimony. Thank you so much for being here with me. Like I said, you know, when we talked about this offline a few weeks ago, when you actually had your anniversary, I was like, okay, I have to get you on this show. You know, I I guess everything is timing, right? Because, you know, we have been, like I said, I can't even remember when that conference was. I think that conference was like maybe two or three years ago. It was, it was actually, well, I've been back in Illinois November of 2016 is when I moved back home. So I met you before then. Wow. So it's been, I didn't even realize that it had been that long. Mm-hmm. And it's I met so, you in 2016. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And it's so funny because I was actually just starting out with like empowerment speaking. That might have been the first platform that I was actually able to go and speak to the woman. And that was oh, just... Wow. Yeah, so that was my first time actually speaking. It was something that I had always wanted to do. And ironically, I ended up, like I said, several years later, my job at Coca-Cola, they're a sponsor of Mary Hall Freedom House. So I had the opportunity to go back and to actually teach classes at this, uh, it's a program called Freedom University. Mm. And, And so we are teaching them like how to get back into the workforce. So I've taught classes on how to create a resume or how to... Um, social media etiquette or you know just kind of how to transition back into life and it's been it has been so um just just an amazing experience I have found it to be just so impactful in my own life and just being able to connect with these women and love on these women and pour into these women um it's it's just you know a sense of like just thankfulness so So, yeah, so, but that's where we met. That's where we got our start. Well, that's where I got my start. Um, but I just remember you speaking and I remember looking at you and after, like hearing your story and it's like, it's not like a judgmental thing, but it's like, mm-hmm. I'm looking at you like you went through what you have, you, you did what? Like you do not look like anything that you have been through. And I know that that's truly, mm-hmm. you know, glory to God for that, because that yes. is all God. That is Absolutely. all God. Absolutely. And people when, um, Ooh, I hope I don't get emotional. 
um I was gonna say this might be one of those episodes where we need some tissue so yeah because I can feel it coming already let me grab my tissue um it's it's funny because I and and I would have never known when we met that that was your first time speaking I would have never known that um because you were so powerful and just the way you delivered was so matter of fact um but people say that all the time like my friends you know that I met when I lived in Dallas I lived there before I moved um to Atlanta and people are like wait what you you went through what you were an addict for 21 years like I can't you don't look like that and then I you know and it took me a while because I had such shame associated with my addiction that I would say well what you know what is an addict supposed to look like because you just don't you never know what someone is growing through but I do thank God that I don't look like what I've been through and yeah it was 21 years you know when I got clean and I look back at that uh, I'm just amazed at how there are no remnants left that are visible anyway Mm -hmm. of that experience Wow. And you just made a great point. What does an addict look like? Because we have this idea in our mind, you know, and, you know, it's 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 like an unconscious bias or a stereotype that we have in our mind of an addict is supposed to look this way. Mm -hmm. But there but there are addicts among us working with us side by side, sometimes teaching our children. And and you would never know because, you know, they're able to hide it very well. So I think Mm -hmm. we have to get rid of that stigma in our mind that you have to that that an addict looks a certain way. Right. Because you never know who is, you know, dealing with, you know, some type of addiction to whatever the case is. So I think that's a great point. That's a great point that you made there. Yes. And I'm glad you said that people can have there are so many different types of addictions because there are there's. Addic- there's an addiction you know to substance abuse there's food there's gambling there's shopping you know there's sex there's all different types of addictions and um you know the t- person that you just described that could be your your child's teacher or what have you that they're called functioning addicts and that's what exactly, exactly what I was yeah Yep. And you just, you, you never know because they're able to still, like you said, function, go to work every day, still pay their bills, still do all of these things. Meanwhile, they have this vice that pretty much has control over everything that they're doing. So, yep. So I want us to jump right on in because I already know that with this conversation is going to one, be very, very good. And if we're not careful, then we will run over our time because Mm -hmm. I am famous and notorious for running over time. Um, But it's just good conversation. And I think that everything that we talk about on this podcast is it's helpful, it's impactful. And, you know, it it really um, challenges women to, you know, live perfect, purpose driven lives. So I'm like, I don't care if we're here for two, three hours, I'll break it up into segments and they'll listen to it one at a time. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. You never know what someone else can gather and, and, and glean from your testimony. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, I never want to cut someone off because they may it it may be that one thing that they needed to get out that is going to touch someone else's life. So I just let it flow. And I'm like, I always ask God and I always pray before I start to God, have your way in this podcast and just, you know, whatever needs to be said, whatever needs to be heard, you know, just let it flow and and let it be for your glory. Let me decrease so you can increase and just do do your thing in this. So. Um, so like I said, we're going to jump right in. So I've, of course I gave your name and everything, but I would like for you to go ahead and tell the listeners who you are, your background, where you grew up and all of that good stuff so they can 
know who Tiffany is. Okay, thank you. So my name is Tiffany. Um, I am, I just turned 50. I don't feel 50. I don't know what 50 is supposed to feel like, but I'm just <laughs> <laughs> grateful to be here. Um, I grew up in, in Illinois, in Springfield, Illinois, uh, Midwest girl. And I, by the time I was, well, first off, I'm 50. I grew up in Illinois. I'm back in Springfield, Illinois. And I'm a grandmother of three. Um, oh, wow. Yes. I'm a grandmother of three. Um, my oldest granddaughter is nine. And the others are three and almost one. Um, and I have one child. And um, I'm in social services. Um, pretty much, I think the type of work that I do uh, stems from my upbringing and having a, a heart that wants to give back to others, namely women. Um, I enjoy being able to empower other women, people period, but women because I'm a woman and I have overcome so much and I didn't have the support of someone to love on me and to pour into me when I was growing up. So um, growing up in um, a single home with my mother, um, she and my father didn't have a relationship. I kind of just came about and there was never that mother-daughter connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I never really had a relationship with my mom. And to this day, there's no real relationship. She doesn't necessarily know who Tiffany is. Um, and so I endured a lot of um, domestic violence, uh, domestic abuse, physical, emotional, psychological, um, as far back as I can remember, which was three. Um, so like I said, my parents didn't get along. Well, it's not that they didn't get along. They just weren't together. There was never any discord between them. But my dad was a pimp. And wow. So, yes. And so... Um, he was literally one of the biggest pimps in Springfield, Illinois. If not, I would really venture to say that he was the biggest. Um, and I can remember being three years old and sitting on the porch, watching him walk with these flocks of women behind him. You know how you look out on the water and you'll see the duck with, uh, with all her <laughs> Yes, ducklings. with the little ducklings behind yes. him. <laughs> that is how, exactly how I remember my first memories of my dad, you know, and I can wow. remember, yes, him beating women, uh, having them hug a tree and, and run back several feet and kick them in their torso and face. So, and I, that's still so vivid in my, in my mind that at three years old, that was the first time that I can remember saying to myself, is that what I'm supposed to, you know, endure? Is that what I have to look forward to as a woman? Mm. I was three years old and I remember that feeling um go ahead I was gonna say and it's so interesting right because when we think of the relationship between a between a daughter and a father you know uh, our fathers are the first men that we fall in love with right they are the first they are the example of the relationships they show us what it is you know how a woman should be treated they show us how you know we should expect to be treated you know um that's how it should be that's not always how it is however i think that in many cases for women um a lot of the choices that we make or decisions that we make concerning the relationships and the men that we deal with 
a lot of times it is a reflection of the relationships that we have with our fathers. And some women don't even know their fathers or never grew up with their fathers, but they still end up choosing men who are like their fathers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am what you just described. I have, I have made some choices in men that were not wise. Um, however, I wouldn't change it because it's, it's shaped and molded me into who I am today. But as a result of watching him pulverize women and have no regard and no respect for women and and me either to be honest um that was very detrimental to my psyche and to my self-esteem and then to have a mother that was psychologically verbally emotionally and physically abusive um I I felt I never felt loved or or valued and I always felt even in a house full of, you know, family members, because we spent a lot of time around like my grandmother and my aunts and uncles and cousins, I always felt invisible. Wow. Always felt invisible. So that's kind of how Tiffany came about. And and later on down the years, actually four years ago when I moved back to Illinois is when I realized that I'm an empath um, because I feel everything from everyone, no matter if I know them or not, whether it's on TV or a perfect stranger um, and that somehow tied into my makeup and the way I um, deal with people, the way I impact people, even when I really don't feel like it. Sometimes you just don't feel like talking, you know? Right. Um, But I know now that that is my purpose and I went through all of those things so that I can share my story and my testimony with others so that they can grow through it too. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, from one empath to another, I can certainly relate to you because I'm an empath as well. Mm-hmm. And I and I believe that, like you said, it's because of the experience that I went through as a child. You know, the things that we endured, it has allowed us to be sensitive to other people because we've gone through it. So we know what it feels like to feel invisible. We know what it feels like to feel abandonment. We know what it feels like to have that lack of love and of value and different things of that nature. And so because we have experienced that, it allows us to be more sensitive and to be more, you know, um, wanting to nurture those who are going through that because we know what it feels like and we don't want them to have to go through that same experience. So I'm an empath as well. And I feel every single thing. And like you said, sometimes I'm like, God, please shut this off. I don't want to feel this. <laughs> yes. And it's almost like, I think it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a spiritual thing because when you are an empath, people who have issues and who are dealing with things, they automatically gravitate to you. Yes. Can you relate to that? Oh, it's like, no matter, God. it's like, no matter where you are, it could be the weirdest places and people will just automatically just grab. It's like, they feel that pull. They feel that energy from you and they're like, she can help me. Yep. Or I don't know if you're familiar with, did you ever watch this um, true blood back in the day, like on HBO? No. Uh-uh. Okay. So it's kind of hard for me to use the true blood reference, but Essentially, they're vampires, right? But um, there's this one character in the story. Her name is Sookie. But Sookie's like a fairy. So she has like this energy and this aura about her that they are just, they they love her, right? And so everyone kind of gravitates to Sookie because of this mystic power energy that she has. And I said, sometimes I swear to God, I feel like I'm Sookie because I just feel like I get the vampires, uh, everything. They just want to come suck the life out of you yes. and drain you sometimes. Yes. So, yes. And it's so funny Impact. that you say that. Suck the life out of you. Because if you're not careful, 
um, as an empath, you will attract a lot of energy vampires too. Mm-hmm. You have to protect your energy. I'm learning that now. Um, you know, I feel like I'm in a place of transition in my life right now, but I used to try to be everything for everybody all the time. And I had mm-hmm. to come to terms with the fact that you can't, it's, it's physically and mentally and spiritually impossible to be able to do that. So now I'm limiting, um, you know, I still want to, of course, help and impact and do all of that stuff. But one, I've realized that everyone is not your calling. Yes. <laughs> and then and then two, you always have to make sure that you take that time to kind of reset and recharge and have that self-care so that you can be restored so that you can, you know, continue to pour out because you can't pour out if there's an empty cup. Absolutely. And I've had to learn that because I, too, have been guilty of trying to help everybody else. Or, you know, if someone uh, comes up with a problem or an issue that they feel that they have and they and they need help. I automatically find myself trying to suggest things or, or help make them feel better. And I'm like, I can't work harder than you to clear your energy, to be balanced, to get grounded. That's like you said, that's not my job. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not my job. So, yeah. Yep. So, so let's go back for a moment. So you said that, you know, the, the household that you grew up with, strained relationship with your mom, dad was a pimp, you experienced domestic violence and abuse as early as the age of three. Um, you actually remember and, and can still see it clearly, your father abusing women in front of you. Um, you felt a lack of love and you felt like there was you didn't have value to yourself. And you said you actually felt invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can definitely see the, the setup right now for becoming um you know for um for for that being becoming an an addict more or less or for for you starting to search for something to kind of numb that pain or something to kind of fill those voids in your life so let's talk about that a little bit about how you started using or you know how you or how you became an addict okay um I started at age 13 um when I started well I started developing early but oh I, I don't know how I forgot this. I was molested tab at five years old um, by my next door neighbor. So that, but coupled with not feeling valued, not feeling loved, my next door neighbor, you know, I was a latchkey kid. I was the only child for six years. And um, the neighbor, I grew up in the projects here. And so our next door neighbor, they were white. And I remember coming home one day and I had lost my key a couple of times. and My mom was upset. And she got me, excuse me, she got me another key and I remember wearing it around my neck. Well, they asked for me, literally. They asked me, asked my mom if, 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 well, Tiffany, we notice she comes home every day by herself. You know, can she just come over here? And and her son, her youngest son, I remember him being so much bigger. Like, so I've, for some reason, thought maybe he was, you know, 14 or 15 years old. My mom said that he, when I finally told her what happened at, I think, 36 or 38 she said that he uh was probably only about five or six years older than I was so he was probably about 11 but he was a big boy you know and I was a little I was only five um so I think that my dad being an addict I I learned at when I got clean at 34 I learned that my dad was a a heroin addict and so I never understood why I like to get high. I mean, I knew that I wanted to numb out. I knew that it was a way for me to not have to think about going back home or the 
um, what might be waiting for me. You know, it's like I, it was light outside. And then when I would go into the house or even start approaching my home, it was just, it was always a feeling of darkness. So mm. at 13, but, uh, that's really what started it. And I think I literally kind of, I think I blocked those memories of being molested until I got sober. And then I had to face all of it. So yeah. at 13, I started with weed. You know, people say that weed is a gateway drug. And a lot of people say, oh, it's just weed. But it really, it, it is. It can be. And it was for me. So I started off smoking weed. And um, liquor just started. I can remember my first drink. It was Mad Dog 2020. And it was. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got was, some Mad Dog stories ooh, myself, boy. Lord, yeah. It mm-hmm. was a mess. And all I had eaten was popcorn. And Lord, that's, I'm leaving right there. But, yeah, mm-hmm. you don't have to say no more. <laughs> yeah, but that's when I started between Mad Dog 2020 and weed. So I probably smoked weed, I don't know, a few times, and I had already graduated to to drinking. And that is really, I mean, I did other things over the years, but uh, liquor was really my drug of choice. And okay. um, I, like I said, my dad was a heroin addict. My mom never did drugs. Um, that was something that she never did. Like she used to irritate me because she would get giddy off of a daiquiri, and it's like, how do you get <laughs> how do you get a buzz off of a daiquiri? But that's because I was an addict and I didn't understand that right. at the time. But yeah, so I did um, weed drinking uh, by I think sixteen or seventeen. I was doing cocaine. I was uh, snorting cocaine. Um, crack I never like straight smoke crack but I would smoke it on weed which is called uh, we called them yaps or or primos back in the day um hash opium I never shot up but um I've done a host of different things to just try and not feel feel Mm -hmm. yeah so it started at, at 13 wow and so um, it's, it's, you know, I always find it so interesting because, you know, like I said, the trauma that I feel like you went through in your life kind of set the stage for this, right? Oh, yeah. Um, not having um, that loving, nurturing environment, not having, you know, that love from your dad and, and from your mom, that strained relationship. I think all of these things um, with most addicts, most addicts usually have a story. Oh, yeah. And when I, and when I be, when I begin to, you know, really see that and understand that, that most addicts have a story of trauma, have a story of something happening that impacted their life, um, which led them to trying to, again, find that numbness, find that escape. Um, as I think about my mom, you know, her story, and I, and I share this all of the time that, you know, my mother went through lots of trauma in her life as a child. Um, she was given away for um, her, her mother actually gave her and and my my uncle which was her twin brother gave them away um when she when she remarried so she so she was married to my grandfather my grandmother was married to my grandfather the way it was explained to me and um they didn't work out for whatever reason and my grandmother remarried and so the man that she remarried to 
um, for whatever reason, did not want to, you know, raise these children that she had, these two children that were already existing. And so she made a choice. And, you know, I say this all of the time because I was angry for many years and for several years, but I've had to let that anger go. I never met my grandmother. I don't know what her situation or her circumstances are or were. I don't know what was going through her mind at the time because I say, I don't understand how, how could she give away her kids? And But you just never know. And especially know. going back to the 1950s, you don't know what as women we had to endure and what we had to go through or why she felt like this was the best decision that she needed to make for herself. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, she gave, she gave my mother and my uncle away to a woman. Um, I, I, I assume, or I think I remember that she either worked with this woman or she knew this woman or what have you, but this woman, you know, took, took my mother and my uncle and raised them as her own for several years. Now, during this time, she abused them, mentally abused them, physically abused them. She might have even possibly sexually abused them. I, I'm not sure. Um, but my mother and uncle went through years of abuse. Um, my mother had a story. And it's so funny how you kind of just connect certain things. Because I don't even remember what this woman's name was. Because my mother always just referred to her as Crazy Lady. That was the name that they gave her. Wow. Um, she, she called her Crazy Lady. And I can remember one time watching this show. Um, ah. What is the name of that show? It's a black and white show with wire hangers. With um, oh, um, oh, is it mom, mommy, mommy dearest, mommy dearest? Yeah. And my mom, when she would watch that movie, she would get very emotional because she said some of the trauma and some of the things that she went through as a child. That movie would resonate with her because that woman would treat them like that and so yeah so so you know my mom experienced lots of trauma in her life um and as she got older again I think she was just looking for that escape she was looking for something to kind of numb her of that pain um that those those abandonment issues and all of those things and so I really believe that that's what led her into her addiction um, and, and I know that she experimented with different things. I know she did, like you said, she did weed. She did. Um, I don't think she ever was did, shot up, but I know that she did crack. She did Coke. Um, so I know that those are at least three drugs that she did. Um, she wasn't really, she wasn't really a big alcoholic or anything like that, but she was into the harder drugs. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's weird because as we talk about cycles and we talk about generational curses and those things, you know, as you share your story and, you know, your trauma, you know, kind of sent you that way. I know that my mom's trauma kind of sent her that way. And so when I lived in a home with my mom and I experienced trauma with my own mother, um, because, you know, growing up in a home with an addict, I seen in, I, I seen it all. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I went through a lot with my mom. I have some vivid, uh, memories of things that she had done. And so, you know, it could have been, a sense of because a lot of times we'll see things and we know that it's not right and we know how it makes us feel and we either repeat the cycle or we make a decision to break the cycle yeah. 
And so, and it's not always easy. And I don't blame people who repeat the cycle because it's something that's in you naturally. And it's kind of hard to break it. You want to break it. You know, it's not right, but it's hard for you to be able to say, I'm going to make a decision to not do this. It's kind of like the kid that grows up and sees his father beating his mother. And then he becomes abusive. And it's like, he, he didn't like seeing his mother get beat. And, you know, he didn't like that trauma. However, you know, it's in him. And unless he does something or gets the help that he needs or counseling or what have you, he's likely to repeat the same behaviors. Mm -hmm. Predisposition. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, I can definitely see, you know, how you having those experiences led you into that, that path. Um, and I'm just thankful. And, you know, sometimes it, I, and I always struggle with this and I always say that because I knew what I was going through with my mom and my mom was very transparent and she would talk to me like I was, it's, it's weird because we had this strange relationship where she treated me like an adult, even when I was a child mm. and she would share, she would talk to me about what was on her heart and, and her, you know, everything me and my mom talked a lot because I lost her at 13, oh. but at 13, I knew like everything about her mm -hmm. like we she she you know she was she was um she was a lesbian she was into that she explained that to me and 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 how she got into that lifestyle what i appreciated about my mom is that she was just completely open and honest about who she was about why she was the way she was and i, I feel like she told me everything that i needed to know before she left that's this earth. exactly what i was just thinking like you you didn't have any qualms about what happened or why because she she made sure that you heard it from her you didn't have to wonder exactly yeah exactly and so I think that having that experience it led me to go the other direction it led me to say you know what I don't want this for my life I don't want this but I also found myself in like you said I feel like I had the I definitely had um some of the seeds planted. Um, I had some high risk behaviors. Um, I did start abusing alcohol. I didn't necessarily think that I was abusing alcohol, but I can relate to binge drinking. Yeah. You know, I might not drink Monday through Friday, but if I was going out with my girlfriends, we going to get wasted. Yeah. And, and I didn't know how to stop. There were times when I woke up and didn't know how I made it home, mm -hmm. you know. Um, <laughs> and you know what, and Dad, that's I, a, lot of the, a lot of the times with binge drinkers, that's how if you don't nip that in the bud that's how they become alcoholics mm -hmm. i'll tell you what my saving grace was and i honestly believe this i got a dui in 2018 i think it was mm -hmm. no i'm sorry not 2018 in 2008 goodness I, you don't even realize how fast time <laughs> I know. i'm like no it wasn't 2018 it was 20 2008 i got a dui um, because I guess, you know, I, I was a functional alcoholic, but I, I didn't, I thought because I didn't drink every day that I didn't have a problem, right. but I was drinking a lot. Um, I wouldn't do drugs. I wouldn't smoke weed. There was just certain things that I would not do because I was like, I don't want, I already know that that's in me and it's in my family history mm -hmm. and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't touch that stuff, but alcohol was my vice of choice. And, you know, hey, I want to celebrate. I'm going to drink. Yep. Uh, if, I, if I'm having a bad day, I want to drink. You know, it was like always something. I'm going out with my girlfriends. I got to have a drink. Yeah. And so, you know, drinking just became a normal part of. And like I said, I might go through, you know, the whole because I was a young mom. But I might go through the entire week of work. And, you know, on Friday, Saturday, it's time to hit the club. It's time to get drunk. And 
So I didn't think that I really had a problem because I was managing it. You know, what I saw as a problem was what I went through with my mom. And I wasn't my mom, so therefore I didn't have a problem. Yes. And you know what? A lot of people too, think too, they don't necessarily think that binge drinking and drinking just on the weekends, um, they don't look at that as a problem because it's, it's legal. It's something mm-hmm. that's legal. It's something that you can go purchase. It's not, quote unquote, right. You see commercials for drinking, you know, all of that stuff. And so when I got the DUI, it was a wake up call for sure. Um, And I had to go to DUI class. And most people kind of, you know, just flake off and they just take the class just so they can get their license back and get their life back. But for me, I really sat back and I paid attention to what was happening in this class and the conversations that we were having, the dialogue that we were having. I did the exercises in the workbooks and I started to see that my high risk behaviors paired with the fact that I already had a family history of substance abuse was the perfect storm for me to becoming an alcoholic if I didn't get in control of that. Um, And so I really believe that that was a wake up call for me and it made me face some things that I didn't realize was even there and it allowed me to make some choices um, of better decision making in how I was moving forward so um, that's I guess that's my my personal testimony and my personal story of how you know I I found myself slipping into addiction but was able to kind of get pulled back Mm -hmm. right Um, but I can definitely see how it can happen Yeah. And and you don't even, like you said, you don't realize it um, because it's just a reward, so to speak. You know, I'm, I've worked hard all week. I've taken care of my babies. My house is good. My bills are paid. Um, let's go out and kick it. Let's go hang out. And the next thing you know, you know, you, you're like, where's my car? How did I get here? You know, I remember those days too, running outside like, oh my God, what? A-? And I'm like, Whew, okay, my car is here. You know, and I had a DUI too. I got a DUI on November 1 of 1997. And and you would have thought that that was something that would have stopped me. But I continued on. I continued. I didn't get sober until um, September, what, September 20, September 17th of 2004. Mm-hmm. That's when I got clean. Wow. So that's yeah. the perfect segue into... Um, what was the breaking point for you? What was what was that moment where you was like, I gotta get this, I gotta, I gotta deal with this situation. I have to um get sober. What happened? What happened was I was um I was drinking. Uh we I worked for a company for for 12 years I sold education and I, I loved what I did. Um, but sales is hard. So, you know, I found myself by the time I had moved to Texas, because I moved to Texas in August of 98, August 1st of 98. And I thought, okay, um, with my, I was with my ex-husband at the time and I slowed down on all my drugging, but I was still drinking every, you know, not every day, but often enough. And like you said, it was pretty much on the weekends by then. Um, in my early twenties, I drank damn near every day. But um, by the time I got to my late, 20s early 30s I would binge drink and so we were celebrating on the job because we had hit our milestone and our regional director said you know what if you guys hit this quarter's um, numbers I'm going to take you out on my my uh, lake house and we're going to have all the fixings and she was an alcoholic and uh, we had I mean we had a ball that was my first time being 
you know, drug on the back of the boat. Mm. What do they call it? Tubing. And we had we had a fully stocked, you know, top shelf everything. Um, she cooked burgers. That's when I was eating meat. She cooked burgers and chicken and fit, just everything. And I had enough wherewithal while we were on the water to say, okay, I'm only going to drink beer while we're out here on this water because I can't swim. I never, I had never been out on the water. So I call myself being, um, you know, cautious. But by the time we got back into the house, and this was an all day affair. We started in the morning, probably like nine or 10 o'clock. And I don't remember, I don't remember what time I left there, but I know it was between like two and three in the morning. I was lit, tore up. And it was to the point where I had said and done things that were completely inappropriate to her and her um, her lover, which they're probably married by now. Just, just belligerent and drunk. And I woke up at home. I remember I almost jumped out of a moving vehicle that night. I do remember that. Yes, I was just, it was a mess. And I remember that morning, the next morning, I literally, it was like, you know how you wake up out of like sleep paralysis or something or a bad dream? a nightmare and you like mm-hmm. spring up out of the bed like and you like, gasp for air I did that because all of a sudden I had this vivid memory of the things that I had said and done the night before at this event and it was only just us three ladies our supervisor and then the regional director and her her lover so I started calling my supervisor who at the time was my friend and she wasn't answering the phone so for hours um, at least three or four hours because uh, this probably started about eight or nine o'clock in the morning. I started calling her and calling her. She wouldn't answer the phone. Then when she finally did answer the phone, she was laughing. She thought it was funny. So she was like recanting some of the things I had done and said. And she said, girl, you tried to jump out of my truck last night. She drove like a, the, the explorers when they first came out, you know. And um, one of my girlfriends at the time, um, she had let me hear a recording of myself while I was drunk. Yes. And I was like, who was that? Right. (laughs) You know. That ain't me. I know. I know that's not me. (laughs) I know that. Right. And and so I was like, that kind of sounded like me. And she was like, that was you. She was like, you were tore up last night. And I kept. So at Mm -hmm. this point, I'm freaking out because I, I never remember because mm-hmm. I used to black out so I never remembered everything that I did but for some reason God let me remember and replay just about everything I had said and done that night and um, I kept calling the regional director well she wouldn't answer the phone so now I'm panicking because in the midst of this I'm going through a divorce um, I had no one to count on I had a roommate and she was she she was used to me just getting drunk and acting retarded just acting straight crazy and she was like girl it's gonna be okay and I was like no you don't understand like I was at these people's house Mm -hmm. clowning drunk you know the regional director's lover she was all upset because of some of the things that I had said that were completely inappropriate and um that she never answered my call so the next day when I get to work she was there, the regional director. And I'm all embarrassed, but I'm like, well, I have to go in here. Because back then, I was like, well, whatever. You know, if they fire me, they fire me. You know, but prior to me, get, let me back up. Prior to me going to work the next day, I kept calling her and she never answered. So I left her a message and I was like, 
um, you know, this is Tiffany. Can you please give me a call back? I owe you an apology. Um, and I would like to converse with you about mm-hmm. last night. So I felt so hopeless, so powerless um, that I, I just, I was crying. I, I bawled for hours and I threw myself in the floor. And it was this, that was the first time that I cried out to God like never before. Because I was like, if I lose my job, at that point, that was the most money I had ever made, you know? And I was like, what am I gonna do? I don't, I can't count on my ex, my husband. He we right. weren't even divorced yet. Um, and I, and I didn't want to count on him. I'm, I'm all, I've always been independent. So I wanted to be able to rectify this situation and keep everything intact. So I fell on my face. I cried out to God right in my bedroom. And I said, Lord, I cannot do this by myself. I said, um, oh, mm-hmm. I'm getting emotional. This mm-hmm. I said, um, you know, if you take the taste of this alcohol away from me and drugs, I said, I will never, ever drink again. I will not do a drug. I will live clean and free. I will get my act together. And I said, I will tell people, whoever I encounter, about how you healed me how you took this addiction away from me. And the next day I went in and I said, okay, it is what it is. I felt such relief right then and there, right then and there. I felt free. When I got Mm. up off that floor tag, it was gone. Like it was all gone. And I don't know how to describe it. It was just like all the heaviness, all the weight that I felt for 21 Mm. years it was it was like I felt so free so I knew the next day like I mm. had to face the music you know and if they fired me they you was fired gonna me, you was I gonna be okay either way you was you was okay with it exactly yeah. exactly I was like whatever happens I'm good that's he right already told me I'm good yeah so that's okay that's okay <laughs> I, I told you we was gonna need our tissues because I'm over here teeing up myself just listening but that's how that's how awesome and amazing that oh. God is, man. It's like, oh my God, yes. Because I I tried to kill myself so many times, you know, from drinking and drugging and just not caring. And I had a whole child, you know. My son watched me be self destructive because you mentioned being a young mom. I had him at nineteen years old, mm-hmm. so we basically I grew can... up together. You know, yeah. yeah. And so when I got to work the next day, she's so silly, this this lady, my regional director. <clears throat> and again, she's an alcoholic. She was anyway. She called me into the office and she said, and she's keeping a straight face. And a part of me, cause I'm still a little rebellious, <laughs> you know, I got a little bit of a- mm-hmm. Yeah, you had a little too like, going in there, huh? <laughs> you, was yeah. already, you was already on a defensive, like, right? You already came in there defensive. I was. I was and so I go in and I sit down and I'm and I'm having I'm at war with myself and I'm focusing on her face and, mm-hmm. and reading her body language and I've always been good trying at to figure her people, out you know but she's I mean? bluffing but she's bluffing same, though uh-huh. uh, yeah yes she's bluffing during the whole time and so but then the other part of me is like if you don't sit your butt and be humble and get it together <laughs> you know you just have, that's right 
You just had a whole conversation and threw yourself in the floor at God at his feet last night. And then here you are in here with an attitude. Like I'm literally that's having that flesh. a conversation with myself. That's that and flesh, that's honey. You know, we gotta yes. we gotta we gotta fight that flesh oh. daily, okay? Because we can sit there and have that conversation daily. with God and the moment that we come out of that conversation, our flesh mm. kicks in. So we have to make sure that we are in control of that daily. And it's hard. It really is hard, but it's a daily battle. Mm. absolutely yes. and it still is mm-hmm. it still is at 50 so <laughs> I go in there and she says close the door you know and she like you said she's bluffing so she's got a straight face and she's looking stern and she's like Tiffany she said um, you know I don't know what all you remember about the other night and I was like I said her name and I was like if I could just and she said no and I said oh <laughs> you know and she's like don't interrupt me and so she started going on she was like if you're going to continue to work here you're gonna have to go to rehab. I said rehab, <laughs> and, and mind you, I had already had a DUI before. Before I even left Illinois in '97, I got a DUI at the end of that year. And so I said, and I said it out loud. I was like, rehab. I thought, girl, please, I am not going to rehab. And, and but then again, the flesh, and I, I had to calm myself back down. And I said, Andrea. <laughs> and I don't say her name now. I said, <laughs> I said, I am not going to rehab. Now, I understand what I did was wrong. I am very, very apologetic. It will never happen again. I said, I have had a whole come to Jesus meeting with God. I will never drink again. And I said, but what I'm not going to do is have you. And before I could finish, because what I was about to say is what I'm not going to do is have you tell me that in order for me to keep my job, I have to go to rehab. Mm. That's what was about to come out. And she burst out laughing. And I'm crying by now and laughing at the same time. (laughs) This is not funny. You know, (laughs) like, God, seriously, this is what, okay, okay. if this is what I have to go through, you know, to get to the other side. And she was like, you should have saw your face. And so she went on and on. But that was my breaking point almost losing my job my livelihood because I had no one to count on I didn't have a mother I could call I didn't have a father I could call I was still married but I was separated from my ex-husband at that point I think it was two years I couldn't there was there was I didn't have anything else to count on but me and God wow so that was your that was your rock bottom that was your breaking point and even through that like isn't it amazing just how awesome God is because that could have went a completely different way right so it's like you could have lost your job you could have jumped out that truck like anything could have happened but he still he Mm -hmm. kept you and his grace and his mercy I mean you know because we didn't you didn't get what you deserve to get and I think that's what's so amazing about God man and it's like you know when we dive into his word and he tells us, you know, to look to the hills from which your health coming from the Lord. I cried out and the Lord heard my cry. Like those scriptures are so real. And that's why it's so important to be in your word and so important to really have that relationship. Um, be- because, you know, yes. you knew at the end of the day, you know, whatever happened, you knew that falling on your face and crying out to God, you, you knew where to go. You knew where the source of your strength was going to come from. And so, and I think that's a, yes, a, a great moment for us to take a pause for the cause um, and come right back. But I would like to just say that when you have reached that breaking point, that is the point of which God comes in and does his thing. So when you feel like 
I don't have anyone to call. I don't have anyone to help me. I don't know what I'm going to do. That is the perfect time to give it to God and to say, God, I need you. Um, so let's take a moment yeah. and we'll be back.